Good morning, College of Charleston basketball fans. Thanks for tuning into the Holy City Hoops podcast. The Cougars return home after a trip to Drexel and Delaware, and it did not go the way we anticipated. The Drexel Dragons pull off the upset at home with a one-point victory over the Cougars, and that is the nail in the coffin for Charleston's at-large hopes. Uh, Unfortunately, we talked about this with Jeff Goodman and others on this podcast. The CAA is just not good enough this season to have multiple teams in the NCAA tournament, and Charleston's out-of-conference opponents haven't done them any favors either. So not a lot of room for losses. Uh, Drexel, 13-11, 7-5 in the CAA. That is going to be the worst loss on Charleston's schedule thus far on a season where they only have three of those. Um, So it stinks. That's the life of a mid-major sometimes, oftentimes. And I know it stings to lose the top 25 status and the at-large hopes, uh, having both of those evaporate pretty quickly over the span of about a week. Uh, But that's the way the ball bounces sometimes. Uh, However... Not all hope is lost. The path to the NCAA tournament is now just the same for the Cougars as it is for anybody, for about 90% of Division I teams, and that is to win the conference tournament in about a month. So from here on out, the Cougs need to put themselves in a position to have a high seed. Right now, they do not control their own destiny. They are in the two-seed spot. Hofstra, via the tiebreaker, the win they have over Charleston, is going to give them the one seed. So we got to hope for the pride to lose down the stretch here. But it's going to come down to three days and three games in March. Charleston did take their first step toward that goal by dispatching Delaware pretty handily on Saturday. That's what we like to see. Here to talk about both games is Redshirt Jr., who was in the building for that heartbreaking loss to Drexel. You know that we are never, ever going to waver in our support for the Cougs. And if you were having doubts, if you're thinking about jumping off the bandwagon because CFC fell to 22 and 3, uh, some perspective might be good for you. So let's get into today's show. All right, Cougar fans, coming off the traditional Drexel, Delaware road trip, we had to bring in our Philly based CFC alum, Mr. Redshirt Jr., to recap these games. We'll start with the Drexel game, man. I know you were at the DAC for this one, and I know this was the second time in a row you've had your heart crushed by the Cougars in that arena. Not the bounce back game we were expecting after the Hofstra loss. It officially pops the bubble, right? So margin of error for an at-large appearance for the Cougars was going to be one game. They gave that up against Hofstra. Drexel is not quite the landmine, but close enough to knock Charleston out of that conversation. So quite a bummer of a start to that road trip. But you were in the building. What did you see? Well, yeah, there's really no other way to describe it other than maybe soul crushing, something along those lines. I think I might have used the same phrase on the same podcast last year. Obviously, for large stretches of the game, uh, it was a really good time. Got to see, I would say, sort of an improved um, Drexel fan, like student section. Like, it was very loud in the deck, and um, I, I think it was a more hostile environment than last year. Last year, like both years, we sat in the Drexel section behind enemy lines, and Last year, it was just kind of, it was pretty chill. Nothing really, uh, not too intimidating. And this year, they were standing, screaming, giving us dirty looks. So it was, uh, I think that had a bit of an impact on the game. But tough to take for sure, just especially feeling, you know, confident with seven minutes to go and a nine-point lead and uh, watching some very unlikely things all unfold at the end there. Well, we say unlikely, but it was almost a carbon copy of the game last year, which Charleston lost basically at the buzzer on an Amari Williams 
dunk, I think, to give Drexel their first and only lead of the game with, like, one second to play. Yep. So not quite that, but definitely an unraveling down the stretch. Um, Going into this game, I had remained consistent about this being a tough game. Like, some people were overlooking it. I know some of the Drexel fans were trying to, like, reverse jinx it. But the combination of Amari Williams being a dominant big, which is who Charleston has struggled with all season long, going back to Jake Stevens in the opener, to Baycott, to Chris Doherty, whoever you want to name. We've always struggled with dominant big men. They were undefeated in CAA play at the DAC. And as frustrated as Charleston was coming off a loss, Drexel was coming off a loss to Elon, Elon's first Division One win. So, like, you know, it's basically a wash on which team is, is more frustrated. And the head-scratching stuff kind of started from the jump. We got Pat Robinson the third in the starting lineup over Ante Berzovich, uh, which was just strange. I don't, I don't think that was ever addressed, but Amari Williams promptly hands out three assists on backdoor cuts, just throwing the ball over Dalton Bolin, who's like a foot shorter than him. So like right off the jump, it's like a weird lineup. It's a defensive lapse from the Cougars, like not the quote-unquote relentless effort we're used to, not the play angry that Danny Johnson and I had had predicted on the last podcast. The offense was okay, like Ryan Larson hit some threes early, Ben Burnham did his usual thing every time he plays a team on like the I-95 corridor, like just dominated, but yeah, just even at the end of the first half, I didn't feel great, even though Charleston had uh, an eight-point lead at that point what what were your thoughts just off the jump as the game got going yeah well the first couple minutes it was just the Amari Williams show and like you said it was it was he was just passing he wasn't doing all that much and it was just picking the defense apart and just start thinking like oh here we go you know big guy that can pass is definitely our weakness um and then the Cougs did start to get it together I was feeling really good with about like five minutes left in the first half we got like you mentioned Ryan Larson hit some big shots and just just the momentum was definitely swinging our way but you could sort of see with like two and a half minutes left i think it was we had uh ben burnham picked up a second foul chuck lampton picked up a second foul and drexel just you know they picked up a couple points just to you know make it uncomfortable and sort of with those fouls starting to pick up that really foretold uh, i think a huge story of the second half and so you could sort of see like the seeds being planted there um, so, you know, my dad and I are all like celebrating behind enemy lines, but it was, I, I turned to him and I was like, you know, they're definitely going to be pulled into a close game. Like the way this is sort of trending. Exactly. So Charleston was up 12 with two minutes to go in the first half. Drexel scores the final four points of the period. And you're right. The fouling was definitely alarming from the jump. The fact that Drexel was within eight without hitting a three in the first half was also concerning. They were 11 for 17 from two-point range, like just getting very, very easy shots right at the rim. Rain Smith in the first half without a point. He would go the rest of the game without a point. And just generally sloppy. Like we saw some turnovers off inbound plays, some frustration and like reach-in fouls for guys like Berzovich and Horton to just already just put themselves into trouble. I was just queasy about that all that stuff, even at halftime. So you're hoping the Cougars get together. And then the second half was just similar to the Hofstra game. Charleston did not shoot well. They were two for 14 from three. They shot 34% from the field in the second half. They didn't defend well. Drexel went two for five from three. Those two were huge threes down, down the stretch. 
Drexel shot 56% from the field in the second half, which is, I think, almost probably exactly what Hofstra shot in the second half of that game. And then once Drexel, you know, got the lid off the basket when they made that first three, I think, with like four minutes to go, it just seemed inevitable. Like, just too many empty possessions. Uh, the double bonus killed the Cougars. They put Drexel in the double bonus with nine minutes to go. So Drexel was just chipping away at that lead every time down the court. It was just, it was just not unraveling. Yeah, it was uh, the foul situation got out of hand really quickly in the second half. So we were, I wrote down, we had six fouls with uh, 13.43 to play. So it's just, you know, we, we were able to hold like a nine point lead for a huge chunk of that half, but it's like underlying the whole time is like, yeah, when this gets down to the end game, you know, Drexel has an edge right there. And um, yeah, I felt like we we made like some uncharacteristic turnovers and stuff, but what really killed us was the shooting regression in the second half. So like the Cougars go three for six on their first six attempts and they go two for 17 the rest of the game. And we're sitting like directly across from the, the board with just the team stats. And I remember looking up and it was like, we're shooting 40% from three, like, haha, cool. And that number just trended down the rest of the game. Whereas Drexel misses their first 13 attempts. And, you know, in the first half, I mean, they had probably five or six that were just wide open. Like Cougars probably get a little lucky that, you know, at least one of those doesn't go down. But 0 for 13, and then they hit their last two at the very end. Like it was just complete opposite type of regression. And, you know, you could point to, I mean, almost every single possession, just like, you know, one little thing goes differently and it's a different outcome, which really reminds me of the Cougars of last year, where it's like hard to even pick one play because it's just like so many little things tipping the scales against us. Despite all the misses from three, they were not dominating on the offensive glass like we've seen them do, which is another trend from that Hofstra game. One made field goal the final six minutes, and it was that Dalton Bowen three out of the timeout with like three seconds on the shot clock. So like kind of a desperation play got to the line a couple times missed a couple times I think Burnham went over two down the stretch I think maybe Horton or, or someone else like missed the front end of a one-on-one I think maybe Jalen Scott missed one so yeah it's just like you feel it slipping away the DAC like you mentioned like they start to feel it I think this is maybe the highest ranked team to come into the DAC maybe ever like even though we're just collecting votes I think it was the closest they've ever had to having a top 25 opponent. So they were fired up. We know that from, you know, the target that's been on this team's back all season. I'm going to go into one of my, my hot takes. Maybe not that hot. You can tell me if it is hot or not. All right. I feel like the lack of athleticism from our backcourt was kind of on display in this game. Uh, we all know Ryan Larson, Rain Smith, Dalton Bowen are, let's say, vertically challenged. I don't think we've seen any of them dunk like even in warmups, uh, they're much more like out on the perimeter, three-point shooters, and they couldn't even test Amari Williams. Amari Williams did not have a foul in this game. Like he never even he had four blocks, but was never in any danger of having to like keep his hands outside the cookie jar. So you saw it in that regard. There was a couple times where you know Larson gets inside, gets blocked, or late in the game he had a shot clock violation because he didn't know what to do with Amari Williams right at the hoop. But also you saw it in transition, like Charleston had plenty of transition opportunities. And this has kind of been a trend all season where it's a two on one play and Charleston can't score because a lot of the guys on the team don't have that Grant Riller quick step, like meet the guy at the top on your jump and finish through contact. Like it's just not 
Rain Smith, Ryan Larson, or Dalton Bolin's game. We've seen Ryan Larson do it a few times where he's like, you know, got a hand check and, and finished. Dalton Bolin, sometimes when he's playing out of the post, will get fouled and, and get an and one. Rain Smith sometimes gets fouled on threes, but I, I just, the transition game, I don't think it's as effective as you think it would be from a team like this, like running the kind of offense they want to run, the kind of transition game they want to run. And I think it's the athleticism is, is part of that. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I wouldn't say it's too hot of a take, maybe just like maybe a little spicy, but it's it, it plays out like it bears out. And Drexel is sort of like coming into the year. They were kind of like an unknown quantity, I guess, like they have a lot of younger guys. And you can see, I mean, Justin Moore, Jamie Bergens, these guys are like freshmen, but they're really athletic. And that was sort of the edge, I guess, that they have because you know we're getting looks that are in the flow of our offense but we're still working really hard just to you know try to finish or have to pull out of like you mentioned like pulling out of a two-on-one situation and that probably goes unnoticed when we're gonna shoot at least you know like 30 percent from three and we're like actually getting yep. getting a little bit from there but when we're exposed as we were yeah we we don't really have much of like an x factor like uh driving the the hoop outside of pat robinson who he had a strong game you know making plays like that but yeah overwhelmingly uh the backcourt doesn't really play that style i'll have to check i wouldn't be surprised if pat robinson leads the team in uh free throw attempts maybe that's something i can look up there's an interesting post game quote from pat kelsey um he obviously sounded very upset i think he was in the locker room before his media appointment for a long time probably giving the team the business or, or working through it with them. He had something along the lines of like, I'm not saying the guys were saving themselves for Delaware, but I need to have them better prepared for this game. I'm not saying the guys are conserving energy because Delaware played them close at TD arena and maybe they're looking for revenge. I'm not saying that. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it just like puts a, puts an idea in your head. It's like, I wonder how much truth is there is to that. Right? Like, the guys are probably overlooking Drexel a little bit, focused on that Delaware game where they really had to turn it on late at TD Arena in that CBS Sports game to get a win over Delaware without Jameer Nelson Jr. So maybe they were looking ahead a little bit. Maybe they did think they could kind of coast against a, a lower tier team. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I could see that coming into play, especially just because you mentioned it was it was a war last game without Nelson. And they had, I think, I believe two really close games last year. So it's just a team that we know is well is typically problematic for us. But I also think um, it, it's easy to kind of overlook Drexel as like the Amari Williams team. And while it still is like the Amari Williams show, we saw you know some of the supporting casts um, really push them over the line this game. So I think maybe some of that is like they kind of caught us off guard with their personnel as well. Yeah, I mean. You mentioned Moore, the freshman point guard, who was like kind of the only plug-and-play guy or the only non-plug-and-play guy from last year. They basically returned four guys who you knew were going to be starters, and the, the only question was who's going to take Cam Winter's spot you know, running the show. It's this freshman Moore, and he he hits the game winner, right? So, um, And we saw that against Hofstra, too. Remember, we took away Aaron Estrada, and the rest of the team killed us. It was Thomas and Carlos and, and that supporting cast. Right. So you leave this game, I know – a lot of fans were super bummed out and angry and upset and frustrated. So then you're wondering where the team goes from here because, again, this is not the bounce back that they wanted. And now they really, really are facing adversity going into that Delaware game on a short rest. 
do you have anything else from from the Drexel game before we cut ahead? Um, only to say that I do think, you know, maybe going forward, the DAC is somewhere we really have to be worried. I'm not worried, but well prepared for a hostile crowd because that, that really did impress me. Um, you know, I, yeah. I could tell the, the student section's putting in the work. The problem's just how they play away from the DAC. <laughs> That's the only issue. Right. right. Uh, I have one more thing from this game. At least Babakar Phi hit a three. Yes, that was actually <laughs> on my list as well. Yeah, that was cool to see. He is now one for 19. Right. He he was carrying our three-point percentage. Without him, it's even yeah. worse. <laughs> oh, God, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> he was a quarter of our production from there. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Okay. So, moving on. The Cougars washed the taste out of their mouth from their first losing streak. The Post and Courier did mention after this game that there was a players-only meeting. Uh, Dalton Bolin, I think, maybe called that one, or he and Ryan Larson and some of the team captains, uh, you know, called that meeting. Never a good sign, but always good when you uh, when you get a win afterward. Again, we mentioned Delaware played Charleston close in Charleston without their best player. Jameer Nelson is leading the team in scoring. Is it as simple as this team just looks good when the threes are falling and they look bad when they're not? Like, <laughs> is that oversimplifying it? Because we looked a lot better here. Maybe it's because we shot 40% from three. Yeah, I, I don't know how much it's oversimplifying it. Like, these two games, Drexel and Delaware back-to-back, really kind of reinforce that like maybe the margins between a double digit win and a narrow loss like are a lot thinner than we think they might be uh even even if it's a difference of like 10 points or something but i thought this game we played really well on defense too we were we were locked in um drexel's or not drexel delaware is obviously heavy on nelson and davis is that's their one-two punch and i felt like we were able to really get some separation in this game because we were able to stifle that in addition to the threes falling. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the Grant Riller, Jarrell Brantley year uh, after after the championship season when Joe Chile moves on. And then you have this two-headed monster that is like 80% of your production. Uh, so yeah, I actually, I did like the defense of both those guys. Both were held to 18 points, but it was on 39 total attempts and Delaware didn't get anything from the supporting cast. They got 14 bench points. A few other guys chipped in single digits uh, outside the starting lineup, but we we saw some weird matchups in this one. We saw Dalton Bolin on Jair Davis, which again, like just like Dalton Bolin covering Amari Williams is somewhat questionable to me, but he did strip him under the basket a couple times, you know, forced him into some tough shots. I thought Babakar Fai did a decent job on him, like using his length and, and contesting him. Uh, and then everybody kind of took their crack on Jameer Nelson Jr. with with Scott and Horton kind of leading the way. I mentioned the offensive rebounds in the last game. Charleston did turn it around here. 18 offensive rebounds leading to 20 second chance points, 38 bench points. That's Charleston basketball. Like, I we all know that we lead the nation in three-point attempts. Uh, so if you're hitting those, again, you look great. But also the offensive rebounding, the second chance points, and the bench production is kind of... That's the trifecta that that this team is built around. Yeah, the offensive rebounding was huge. That like just watching this game, it was just so classic Charleston. Like you never would have thought we ever lost a game or missed a step. Like it was just we. I think we fired like thirty two threes. Uh, almost half our shots were threes, and we rebounded almost half of our misses. Like it was just yeah. classic. Like almost the shots that didn't go in were like passes. Um, and and there was actually a lot of discussion I saw like on Twitter. Uh, after the Hofstra loss, you know, like, why are they taking so many threes? I know you and Danny talked about that last week. And they actually dipped off a decent bit for the, uh, the Drexel game. They went inside more than they 
shot the three and that ended up not working by a very narrow margin. But yeah, this, this yeah. game was definitely following the formula uh, of what's worked for us this year. And I also had uh, written down the Dalton Bolin covering Jair Davis thing because it actually worked like remarkably well uh, given the situation in the Delaware game, whereas Amari Williams was, I mean, unfazed uh, in that matchup in the Drexel game. I thought Dalton Bolin's best characteristic in this game was his efficiency. Like, mm-hmm. I believe he still leads the team in field goal attempts. Um, and I had almost feared maybe after like the Drexel or Hofstra games that, you know, he took it upon himself as the oldest guy in that locker room to be like, the team's in a funk. We need to turn it around. I need to shoot more <laughs> like me uh-huh. and Ryan Larson need to shoot more, uh, which might not be the best recipe. Like maybe, you know, you need to whip the ball around and, and get better shots. But to his credit, he was very efficient in this game. 18 points to lead the way seven for 15 from the field and four for nine from three. So no real heat checks, no real, um, you know, forced momentum shifting shots. He had a couple mid range jumpers that he sunk. Uh, not a ton of like post up fadeaways. I think he hit like one or two of those. So love that from Dalton Bolin. Loved Rain Smith bouncing back in a big way. Twelve points yeah. and four for eight from three. So another efficient night for Rain too. Yeah, I thought Rain getting you know back in the scoring column was huge. The Drexel game was really an outlier, but yeah, we'd seen a couple games where he wasn't shooting the ball well. I feel like it was it was good get right game for him, and then. Bolin as well had had you know a few cold games like you mentioned shooting a lot and now he puts together two hot games Pat Robinson puts together two hot games feel you have to feel like they're uh, get this is the win that gets them back on track I'd say hopefully hopefully yeah. you're right um yeah Robinson 15 points same with Burnham both off the bench they really led the the production from the reserves uh, saw a Kenny Burnham appearance uh, there mm-hmm. with the dagger two, two-handed flush at the end. Much respect to that. That was awesome. Um, I do think you saw, again, the, the Twitter conversation, the conversation going on on the Twitter sphere. A lot of people wondering why Ben Burnham's not getting more minutes given his offensive production these last couple weeks. I think you saw a little bit of the reason why he got backed down very easily by Jair Davis and, and some of the bigs from Delaware uh, to the point where they're just taking one-foot shots. So I think he needs to, I think his limitations are on the defensive end. Uh, he he always has a positive plus minus, you know, these past couple months. So it's not like it's uh, it's killing him. But I think there's a, a reason why Pat Kelsey's not playing him 30 minutes. Yeah, that's a good point. And I actually noticed sort of a similar thing. This was the most minutes he played in a CAA game so wow. far. So wow. even, even with that, you know, thinking there's his ceiling comes from the defensive end, you know, Kelsey did still trust him enough to play his highest minute count yet. But yeah, if, if the defense is stronger then you know, he's probably coming close to 30 minutes or something like that. I mean, he's a sniper from three. He is, he didn't start out the season great, but he is Charleston's best shooter at this point. I think pretty comfortably. Yeah. And he's been really reliable. It's in, when things have gotten lean, he's been the guy that's been able to pick it up for us. Yep. To nitpick a little bit, still some puzzling things, still a lot of fouling out of this team. Uh, and Pat Kelsey mm-hmm. mentioned it after the Drexel game, just not being disciplined. Uh, like that's a discipline thing and a focus thing. Uh, and Charleston needs to to work on that because teams like Drexel are going to bite you if you put them in the double bonus with 10 minutes to go. It's still a little bit of like surviving open shots. You mentioned Drexel getting a lot of open looks from three and just not hitting them. 
Delaware missed some bunnies. They also missed some open threes. I think they also went the first half without a three or, you know, with a, a not very great efficiency. And then Berzovich, Larson, and Horton still in some kind of drought. Like Berzovich seems a little frustrated. He had seven and nine in this game, so it's not like a, a bad night, but he's just like missing bunnies uh, around the rim that he's was hitting like crazy a month ago. Uh, Ryan Larson, I think he's shooting like 20% from three past uh, maybe six games or maybe CAA play only. And then Raekwon Horton still fouling too much, uh, still a few too many like line drives. But I think all three of those guys were just trying to like, Pat Kelsey's trying to ride them and, and get their confidence back up. Jalen Scott, I don't put him in this category because it's not like he's struggling. I just, I want to see Jalen Scott do something besides pass the ball to someone on the perimeter. Like, can we drive it a little bit? And, and finish through contact. He, he got an offensive rebound and one that was great in this game. Um, so like those Burzvich, Larson, Horton, I, I want to see them kind of break out of whatever's, whatever's ailing them. Yeah, I think that's fair. And uh, those three guys specifically are, you know, guys that we need to hit threes at at least like a break even rate. And uh, Larson and Horton are under 33%. Ante is still over, but he was way over before. So it's, it's obviously trending the wrong way. And really, I think one of those guys picking it up at least gives the offense a much better look. And like you mentioned with Jay Scott, I feel like it's kind of difficult because when, when we started the year, teams don't know anything about us. And now it's way more obvious to anyone who's doing this, the scouting that it's, he's not a shoot first type of guy. So it becomes a little easier to kind of play everyone else. And yep. another thing we saw earlier in the year was teams really keying on Rain Smith to the detriment of leaving yep. everyone else open, where I feel like everyone's kind of learning their lesson uh, from the tape on that. And it just kind of makes it more difficult if you don't have all five guys a threat. Not to say Jay Scott's not a threat to score, but looking to score first or attack first. That's fair on both those guys. And Jalen Scott was hitting threes earlier in the year. I think he's regressed to like a mid twenties shooter. And I don't, I can't remember the last time he hit one mm. and then rain. Yeah, you're right. I mean, every we've joked on discord, every broadcaster talks about how rain Smith is one of the elite young three point shooters in the world, according to Pat Kelsey. And everybody remembers his production last year, but the, the tape and the stats don't back it up just yet. Um, you know, I think he's like a, he's a 34% three point shooter right now. So he's hitting about a third of his shots. He takes some high difficulty shots. He forces some shots at times, but uh, the percentage is what the percentage is. Um, and we need to see him, you know, get that closer to about 40% to justify the, the number of attempts and the ratio of three-point attempts to, to field goal attempts that he takes. Yeah, and it's, I mean, we know that the skill is there. So I, I think part of it is, you know, luck of the draw, but definitely seems that, his reputation is preceding him a little bit uh, from compared to what he's put up so far this year. And the, uh, the unnamed coach who called him streaky as hell. Like, I feel like that should be good, uh, good motivation, but we, we have seen that bear out the last couple of games. Yeah. I mean, just on this road trip alone, you see it. Right. 50% one night and over on the other. Um, excuse me if I'm sounding like a hater. I mean, I'm not upset with Charleston having a double digit win on the road against Delaware, but the reality is this team's in second place right now, and Hofstra has a really easy rest of schedule. Do you want to get into that? I don't want to get into it, but I suppose we have to. <laughs> yeah, coming down the stretch here, 
Charleston's final games are as follows. Whiteout Wilmington on Wednesday night at the 6. Hampton on the road. Northeastern at home. Elon on the road. Elon, winners of three straight. Looking a lot better. Look like they have a pulse at this point. Towson at home in a big game that uh, is on CBS Sports Network. And then our one and only game against Stony Brook at home in the season finale. Not the easiest home stretch. Charleston is favored in all of these games, but UNC Wilmington's going to bring it. Towson's going to bring it. And, you know, you can't overlook Elon or, or any team, really. Uh, compare that to Hofstra. Hofstra has Northeastern on the road, Monmouth on the road, Drexel at home, so in Long Island, uh, where Drexel is a completely different team, Hampton at home, Stony Brook on the road, big rivalry game. I mean, Hofstra's just a few minutes down the road, so not really much of a home, uh, of an away game, and then Northeastern at home. No Charleston, no UNC Wilmington, no Towson in that mix. I mean, Charleston does not control their own destiny at this point. They definitely need to win out, but we're hoping for Hofstra to drop one of these games. Yeah, and it's extra tough because if you look at the Ken Palm like, conference-only strength of schedule, Charleston's already played a more difficult schedule um, by, by not that big of a margin, but I get more difficult schedule than Hofstra, Wilmington, and Towson. And now they have to play two of those teams again. Wow. So I think coming into the season, there was a bit of, you know, how is the new look 13 team CAA going to impact strength of schedule? Cause it's not going to be even for everyone and take nothing away from this offshore team by any means, but it's like, yeah, well coming down the stretch here, that is, has a bit of a hand at things, but the mission for Charleston is the same. I mean, they, they have to win out. And at least you're you're playing Wilmington and Towson. At least you get them at home. I guess is the silver lining there. Yeah, it's just ironic because we hit the midway point of the season with the wins at UNCW and the win at Towson, and you figured those are going to be your your two toughest games. And you don't play Hofstra on the road, so you're like, okay, smooth sailing from here on out. And then you drop a home game versus Hofstra, and you drop what should have been a very winnable game at the DAC. And now you're right back where you would have been if you had dropped those UNCW and Towson games. And you're you're looking up at Hofstra in the standings without a chance to draw even with them because you only play them once. And they've got the, the tiebreaker at this point. So Hofstra, I think, is vulnerable the way they jump shoot. Um, Aaron Estrada missed their last game with an illness and Stony Brook still got absolutely creamed. Uh, so that was discouraging. But uh, I think it's possible for Hofstra to... To lose game, I mean, they lost a home game to NCA and T at the buzzer, and they got blown out at Towson. They got their revenge against Towson just a few days ago, but it may be confident that Hofstra is more on like upset alert than Charleston is the rest of the way. But that's not accounting for UNC Wilmington and Towson both being really good top of the CAA type teams. So maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. I would agree with you. I feel like Hofstra is maybe more susceptible to losing to what we're going to call a bad team because the way like they are lights out on offense, but they don't play the strongest defense. And we saw even when they beat Charleston, Charleston's getting what they wanted inside. So, you know, you just have one off shooting night and you can lose to a team that you really shouldn't. And otherwise we're just rooting really hard for Drexel to somehow change their road woes because that's going to be the strongest team they have to play. And for, for the Cougars, you know, we have some of these teams that you've called on the podcast called landmines. And uh, I think at least with the selection we're going against here, you can feel pretty good about it. 
I'd be a little bit scared of Elon because uh, just how they gave us trouble the the first time we played them. They played yeah. us played us in a zone, and you know that's yeah. really. I think that's the ultimate scheme, sort of against this Charleston team, where you just say, you know, look, if you guys aren't going to shoot thirty five percent from three tonight, like this could become pretty difficult for you all of a sudden. So it's a bit of a gamble, but uh, that's the team I'm a little concerned about besides the the big dogs. That would be three of the final six opponents <laughs> right. are, are games that you're worried about. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Charleston, it's not like there's a big difference between the number one and the number two seed in the tournament. There's really not much of a difference between one through four, but I uh, would love to see Charleston get that number one seed because it is a lot more of a beneficial schedule in the CAA tournament. And, uh, you know, if worse comes to worse and Charleston misses the NCAA tournament, at least they have that NIT to fall back on. Uh, which I think should be almost a lock at this point, at, at least the NIT and not one of the lesser tournaments. Uh, but the goal mm-hmm. is the NCAA tournament, and that starts with getting the number one seed and the most favorable schedule in the CAAT. Yeah, and I think it's important to kind of go back to preseason expectations. And, you know, if we had yeah. someone had told us we're 22 and three, we're 10 and two, and we're, you know, a tie break behind Hofstra for the top of the standings, you know, it's, it's, it's not uh, not so bad. So it's easy to kind of be bummed that now the at-large conversation is done and, and we're actually not in first in the conference anymore, but I think plenty of reasons to be as optimistic as we were a couple weeks ago. We're just in the same position that 90% of college right. basketball teams are in, right? You got to win three games in your conference tournament to make it in. So, right. yep, hopefully the guys are still locked in on that. Big game on Wednesday at the six against our big rivals, the Seahawks of Wilmington. Uh, Redshirt Jr., you got anything else you want to touch on today? Uh, I think that'll do it for me. All right, man. Appreciate you rolling through. I'm sorry that the Cougars can't get a win in front of you at the DAC. At least you got to see them win at the Towson game. That was fun. Yeah, you um, can't have it all. But I hope I hope you get to see them uh, get a dub in, in Philly one of these days. Uh, I appreciate, appreciate it. it, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tommy. Go Cougs. Go Cougs.